today we're studying 2 Corinthians and we're doing chapter 3. You know, the ministry of Paul has many similarities to ministries today. Anytime you find anything that's genuine, there's someone promoting a counterfeit version of the exact same thing. There, Henry Ward Beecher stated, a, count, a lie always needs a handle, and that would be the truth. The gospel that Paul preached to the Gentiles was being challenged by a counterfeit gospel. It mixed the gospel of grace with the need for observance of the law. Paul's letter to the Galatians was written specifically to refute that, that doctrine. The Judaizers of that time taught that the believer was perfected by obeying the law of Moses. It was truly a gospel of legalism. You can see why this was really popular, because it's easier to mark an accomplishment when you're looking at tasks completed than it is to simply trust Christ and allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life to accomplish His goal and your sanctification. Remember, we work for His glory. We don't work for our salvation. Paul rejected this very legalistic gospel. He despised the tendency of those preaching, that, those were, that were teaching, teaching this falsehood, to boast about their converts. We'll get to see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, and again in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 12 to 18, where he writes about that specifically. Here we see Paul refuted these false teachers by showing them the surpassing glory of the gospel of grace. He contrasted the old covenant of the law with the new covenant of grace. There was nothing wrong with the law. I mean, it was God created it, so it was perfect. But it's just that we couldn't keep the law. So let's see what Paul had for contrast regarding the old covenant of the law versus the new covenant of grace. And so I've listed some things here on the overheads, but they're just thought, just thoughts as we go along. Here, the first contrast, tablets of stone versus human hearts. And these we, this we see in verses 1 to 3. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some, letters of recommendation from you, or even to, to you? You are our letter written in hearts, known and read by all men, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. The false teachers always presented letters of recommendation. You see, the, the area of the ministry was so vast and the churches were so far apart that they needed letters in order to uh, make a person credible enough to teach. These letters um, followed all the teachers of that time. It is, however, um, they never, it's never mentioned where the letters came from, who wrote the letters. So anybody can get a letter, it's just they use them. Paul said, however, it's, he felt that he did not need any letters because he felt that his ministry and his life was all that was needed to make him credible. Here is where it's really getting interesting. When Paul gave the Israelites the law, 
It was carved on tablets of stone. They could read the law, but the law couldn't transform them on the inside. You can tell what, uh, it can tell you what you are to do, but it can never give you the power to obey it. Obedience starts in the heart. The ministry of grace changes your heart. Blind obedience changes nothing. The Spirit takes God's word and he writes it on your heart. The ministry of Paul had changed the lives of the Corinthians as seen in 1 Corinthians 6 verses 9 to 11 and that was all the recommendation that Paul felt he needed. The Corinthians he viewed as living epistles of Christ. Today, as it was then, it's easier to measure external standards than it is to give results over to God. So we can say that the contrast between the tablets and the heart is really the contrast of judgment versus salvation, which leads us to the next contrast, death versus life, as seen in verses 4 to 6. Such confidence we have through Christ toward God, not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, and the Spirit gives life. Paul was constantly reminding his churches that he alone was not the source of his testimony. Even though Paul was a very well-educated man, and he was definitely a chosen apostle of Christ, he gave all his glory to God. He tells us that he too depended on the Lord to provide all he needed. His trust in God provided everything sufficient for his ministry. Legalists told the people that they could obey the law. Paul's gospel didn't say that at all. He told them, you're miserable sinners and you have no ability to save yourself by obeying the law. Little, little different in concept there. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10, Paul states, By the grace of God, I am what I am, as an example to them. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, verse 6, Paul uses the Greek word meaning the letter for the Old Covenant, and then he uses the Greek word translated the Spirit in, in referring to the New Covenant. So we contrast the Old Covenant as the ministry of death versus the New Covenant as the source of life source of life to those who believe in the saving work of Jesus Christ on the cross. This is where the next part is important because Paul was not saying the old covenant was not important. On the contrary, like the preaching of John the Baptist, it is a mirror. And that mirror brings sinner to the understanding of how sinful he is and he is in need of a savior. False teachers use this to keep their congregations under a cloud of guilt. They're going to keep them working for stuff. This definitely suppresses their joy. It does not make for an effective witness for Christ. There is constant measuring of human result and not the power of the Spirit who's working in you to transform your life. Only the grace of God ministered by the Holy Spirit can transform lost sinners into living epistles. You know, this wasn't a new concept. God promised Ezekiel in 36:26, and he said, I will take away the stony heart and I will give you a heart of flesh. 
the old covenant of the law was meant to prepare you for the new covenant the new covenant message of grace that would transform you into the glory of God and this just goes right into the next contrast fading verses versus increasing glory which is verses 7 to 11 but if the ministry of death in letters engraved on stones came with glory so that the sons of Israel could not look intently on the face of Moses because of the glory of his face, fading as it was, how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, how much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory? For indeed what had glory in this case has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. For if that which fades away was glory, much more that which remains is in glory. Here we have the very heart of the chapter. Now there was glory in giving of the law, but the glory of the new covenant was far superior to that. In verses 7 to 8, Paul argues that if there was glory as shown in the face of Moses with the giving of the law that brought death, how much more was the glory in the message that brings life? False messengers look at the glory and they look at it and they minimize the weaknesses that, they, that they are there. Paul's letter to the Galatians pointed out those weaknesses or deficiencies of the law. He said it cannot justify a lost sinner, Galatians 2.21. It cannot give a sinner righteousness, Galatians 2.21. It certainly can't impart the Holy Spirit, Galatians 3.2. It cannot provide you with an inheritance, Galatians 3.18. It can't give you life, Galatians 3.21. And it can't give you freedom, for Galatians 4.8-10. Now, the Old Covenant can provide you with a realization that, in itself, it cannot provide you with salvation. It tells you that you are in need of a Savior. It tells you a very scary thought. It can provide you with something. It can provide you with eternal death when it's dis uh, disobeyed and defied. This brings us to verses 9 and 10. This new covenant glory means righteousness. It doesn't mean condemnation. The law was not given to provide salvation. It was given to be a mirror that shows you just how dirty you are. You know, when you look in the mirror, you see how dirty you are. But the mirror itself can't wash the dirt away. The new covenant of grace by faith in the saving work of Jesus that's what washes away the dirt that you see. Here is how, the, how it works. God's grace changes your heart. Then, that then obtains the righteousness of Christ, which the righteousness of Christ then changes your life. Let me repeat that one more time. God's grace changes your heart. That then obtain, your heart then obtains the righteousness of Christ, which in turn changes your life. Galatians 2.21 states, For if righteousness comes by law, then Christ is dead in vain. 
If this new life in Christ provides the hope that is missing when you try to live under the law, the law not only provides hopelessness, for extra measure it's going to give you guilt and it's going to give you condemnation. A bond of indebtedness that cannot be paid, Colossians 2.14. It also provides you with a yoke that's too heavy to carry, Galatians 5.1. It does provide you with some stuff. In contrast, as stated in verse 10, the covenant of grace is not fading, but it's increasing. And in so doing, it provides you hope. It provides you acceptance, and it provides you joy. Think of it, a debt paid, a yoke you can bear. And this brings up a good point. That is, why didn't the followers of the law, not? why did they not see this or understand this? Because it was such a wonderful thing he was telling them. For the answer, let's turn to verse 11. The new covenant of glory is permanent. It's not temporary. Paul lived at a time when the new covenant had just been instituted by God. But the temple services were still going on, and Israel was living under the law. It would not be until 70 AD when the Romans destroyed the temple that those services would end. The Judaizers of that time, they wanted to accept the new. They thought that was a really good idea, but they held right on to the old. They weren't about to give up what God had given them in the past. So Paul wanted to know why they wanted to go backward. Why did they want to go to an old covenant when it was fading, when they could live in the glory of a new covenant that was getting greater and greater? Now, today there's no temple in Israel at all, and even if it were built, there would be no Shekinah glory in the Holy of Holies because he took it away. The glory of the law has passed, and all that remains are shadows, and this is seen in Colossians 2, 16 and 17. The ministry of grace brings life and it's bold in its openness. A commentator once said, as the shining of a burning lamp is lost when you see it when the sun rises in the brightness of the sun, so the glory in the old covenant was outshined by the greater glory of the new covenant when it appeared. Paul next talks about the concealment versus openness in verses 12 to 18. Therefore, Having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech and are not like Moses who used uh, to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. Their minds were hardened for until this very day at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil's taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. The Bible uses many devices. When God speaks to us, he uses symbols and he uses metaphors to illustrate his message. Paul used the story of Moses and his veil to illustrate the freedom and the openness of the Christian life under grace. Paul saw and shares with us the deeper spiritual meaning seen in the story of Moses and the law in Exodus 34, verses 29 to 35. In verses 12 and 13, we see Paul's boldness in proclaiming his message. 
Paul had biblical hope given to him by the new covenant. It was not like the world's hope of wishing. He had a confident expectation, unlike Moses who concealed the fading glory of, with his veil. After Moses con, con, uh, communed with God, you know, he reflected that wonderful, beautiful Shekinah glory of God. His face shone, and, but that was terrifying to the people of Israel. It did fade, and that glory was only renewed when he returned again, once again, to re commune with God. This veil not only hid them from the reflection of God's glory, but it also prevented the Israelites from seeing the glory fade away. In doing this, it prevented them from seeing the purpose of the fading glory. Moses had instituted, God had instituted through Moses, Moses the law, and the people were not ready to see the glory of that new covenant fading away. The truth that this covenant of the law was just preparation for something greater was hidden from them. Like Paul, we too need to speak out in boldness. My pastor once said, how can we stop telling the unbelievers how to keep from themselves from going to hell? We can't save them, but we can be God's instrument to tell them who can in verses 14 to 17, we see Paul as a missionary to the Gentiles. He was burdened by the rejection of his message by his very own people. They had rejected his message. He talks of a spiritual veil that covered their minds and hearts. Sadly, as the scriptures were read in the synagogues, the spiritual eyes of the Jews were blinded to the truth about the coming of their promised Messiah. They did not understand, nor did they grasp what God had provided in the very scriptures they were reading. We can see in the story of the, that in the story of the disciples on their way to Emmaus, this was after Jesus died. Jesus appeared to them, and he had to open even their eyes for all that was written in the scriptures about the coming. Yet they were witnesses to the fulfillment of what he was teaching them. Is there any hope for God's chosen people since this rejection of Christ and his message? Yes, we see that in 2 Corinthians 3.16. Nevertheless, when it, which is the heart, shall turn to the Lord by trusting in Jesus, the veil shall be taken away. 2 Corinthians 3.17. It states, Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. This boldness declares the Holy Spirit to be God. No sinner, Jew or Gentile, can turn to Christ apart from the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The nation of Israel as a whole is still spiritually binded. There has been and always will be a remnant. Individual Jews are being saved, but it is not until the second coming of Jesus that his chosen people as a nation will have their veil lifted and that remnant will turn to him for salvation. Verse 17 speaks of the liberty given to us when the bondage to sin is removed. We are now free not to sin. I find this concept unbelievably overwhelming. Think about it. You were never able not to sin. 
never able not to sin. What a gift from God. A true gift. He's just given it to you. He didn't didn't ask you to work for it. He gave it to you. Verse 18 talks about some personal application. Paul speaks of a mirror. Okay. But we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as from the Lord the Spirit. These words jump off the page at me. Think of it. You and I, as believers, share the image of Jesus. And even more, we get to go from glory to glory through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Take a moment and just think about that and let that sink in. In the Old Testament, only Moses could climb a mountain in fellowship with God. But... Under this very new covenant, all believers have the gracious privilege of fellowshipping with God one-on-one. Only the high priest, not the nation of Israel, only the high priest at the time of Paul could enter the Holy of Holies. But now you, we all, get to do that too. And think about it, we don't even have to climb a mountain. (laughs) Hebrews 10, verses 19 to 22 state, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in the full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled with clean with the uh, from an evil conscience and our body washed with pure water. In verse 18, uh, Paul speaks of a mirror which really is a symbol of the word of God. Looking into the word, we see a reflection of God's son who has transformed us into the very image of God. Here we see how important it is to be open and truthful Never a veil is needed here. In this same verse is the word change translated transfigured. A total change comes from inside to the outside. Moses reflected the glory of God. When we study God's word and we, are, we do believe in faith, we as believers, the spirit transforms us and we re- radiate from the inside the glory of God. The Spirit lives within us and we go from glory to glory. The glory of the law faded away, but the glory of the covenant of grace just keeps increasing. With that, the goal, our goals have changed. We go from obedience of the law to the goal of growing. We grow more and more like Christ. A commentator said it so well, the law can bring you to Christ, but it can't make you like Christ. We give up a legal system with its bondage to sin that requires obedience out of fear. In its place, we have obedience 
not from fear, but we have freedom that brings obedience out of love. As believers, we are blessed to reap the benefits of the new covenant by the faith in the crucified Christ. Anything that adds up to the, uh, anything that we add to the death of Jesus and its sufficiency is anathema. This is stated by Paul in his epistles. But he also states that the righteousness given to us in salvation by faith is all that we're going to need to stand before a holy God. Think about that. That's all you need to stand before a holy God. Are you ready to stand before that holy God? Have you given up your works covenant for a covenant of grace that's a gift from him? If not, he promised to return and call everyone to judgment where you do get to stand in front of that holy God. So I'm asking you and pleading with you, look in that near to what Paul talks about and see whether or not you have the dirt of sin. If you see that dirt of sin, we ask, that, we ask you to reach out to him because he can wash that away by, re, by your repentance and believing in faith that those sins of yours can be washed clean by the blood of Jesus. He will give you his righteousness and you will start on the road from glory to glory. Let's pray. Father, we ask you to look down upon us and to touch the, any of us here that may not be looking to you for all that we need. As Paul has stated, you have overcome the old and you've given us the new. We want to look in it as a reflection and see that we are growing from the inside out from the righteousness you have provided. In Jesus' name we pray.